Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. Uh, welcome to Church of the Beloved. Uh, I am Abe, or uh, I'm still getting used to the title, Interim Senior Pastor Abe, um, or just Abe. Abe is fine. I'm really glad to see you all here. I'm so glad to be able to worship together. Uh, I want to mention, if this is your first time joining us, whether it's online or in person, we would love to get connected with you. Uh, I, was, I was at a con- concert yesterday with my wife. Uh, one of, it's a, something called So Far Sounds. It's like a secret concert venue. They don't tell you where you're going to go until the day before. You don't know who you're going to listen to. But the MC. And every single performer, they would always talk about, and they always started with this whole thing about how it's been such a crazy time. And they literally took time in the concert to just process with all these people who had, some of these performers had not performed in front of people for, since February of 2020. And uh, I, I, say, I mention this because if you're still trying to process everything that's happened over the last year and a half, we want to help. So please reach out. Um, you can do that by texting COTB to 97000. You can tap on the connect with us button on our website, cotb.life. You can just come up to me or one of our staff. Uh, we you know, we want to be able to be a church where we as a community can help each other understand how God is using this time and using the experiences we've had so that we can continue to grow closer to him and grow in our faithfulness. So, um, Anyway, we'd love to get connected with you. Uh, we'll, before we continue on with our sermon for today, I'd ask if you could join with me in prayer. Let's pray for today's uh, service. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. You are a great and mighty God. You are a gracious Father. You are our King. And we humbly come before you now, God, to ask that you please allow the words of my mouth be a conduit to your truth alone, God. Speak through me. And may all those gathered here and all those listening online be blessed by this. And may your name alone be glorified. I lift all these prayers to you, God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, um, today we're going to continue the sermon series we started last week. We're focusing on the 12 minor prophets, or the 12, and we're going to be looking at the book of Joel. Uh, It's only three chapters long, about eight pages in in my Bible, right? And I want to recap, or just as a reminder, the 12, uh, they are presenting our God, a God who is constantly calling his people, his beloved back. God is calling his beloved to repent and to reconcile so that they can be redeemed once again. And, and, and the 12 are describing a, a broken covenant, a uh, broken covenant relationship between Israel 
and God and the path, the path to restoring it. Last week, we specifically looked at uh, Hosea and how his life and marriage to Gomer, it, it presented a shocking truth that the suffering required for salvation had already been taken on by our Savior. And we're, today, we're going to look at the second of the minor prophets, Joel, and see what we might be able to make from today's teachings from Joel. And I'll tell you this, as I was reading through and preparing for today, reading the book of Joel, it, it, it resonated with me. It, it felt, it feels very familiar. Because at the start of this book, this a book of poems, it starts out sounding a little bit like something anyone would say, just, just really much nicer than what most people say and how they talk. He's like, in the very beginning, he's like, hey, everyone, gather around. I got a story to tell you. It's a story that you're going to be wanting to tell your kids. Or as he writes it, starting with verse 2 in chapter 1, it says, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. Let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. It just It's very, it's much nicer than I would have said it. You know, when Suzette and I, we moved back to Chicago back in 2018 from California, it was the winter of the polar vortex. And coming from San Francisco, where the temperature never really dips below 50 degrees, and suddenly being in a climate where you can get frostbite simply by taking off your glove, which a friend of ours did, foolishly, it, it was just mind-blowing. And if you've lived or been in Chicago for more than a week, you know that talking about weather is a thing. It's absolutely a thing in, a, in Chicago. I, the very first thing that we reintroduced ourselves to when we moved back to Chicago was WGN-TV, Channel 9 News, basically watching Tom Skilling, the weather guy I grew up with. He was there. And the thing is, the weather channel uh, uh, in Chicago, it's not two minutes long like it is in California because all you got is sunny. In, in Chicago, it's like a 15-minute diatribe of all the things that are going to happen within one day. So, so telling the experience of the winter of 2018, that was something that we absolutely would do all the time. Like, you know, come gather around. Let me tell you about the story of the winter of 2018. You know, there's never been anything like Well, there has been quite a few polar vortexes in, in Chicago. But anyway, you're going you're to you're tell your kids, and you're going to tell your kids' kids, and their kids are going to tell their kids, and it's just going to go on, and we're going to talk about that ridiculous winter. And Joel starts off similarly by calling everyone around to tell a story. And it's a story that everyone has experienced. Everyone's experienced with him. And it's a story that's going to be shared for generations to come. So, so when I read this, Joel just it felt familiar. And the story specifically that he's sharing, it also kind of felt familiar because he's talking about this unimaginable natural disaster, this event that wipes out everything. I mean, everything. There's no more food, anything, anywhere. Verse 7, it says this, uh, it has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. It got so bad during that time that even church had to close down. Verse 9, it says that the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. It was bad. And as you read through Joel's description of the situation that Israel was going through at the time, it just, it feels familiar. 
Because, I mean, we're going to be telling the story of this global pandemic for generations to come. We're going to be saying, come gather around. Let me tell you the story of the COVID years. Have you ever faced anything like this? This thing, this COVID forced us all to communicate only through our phone and computer screens for over a year. It stopped us from being able to travel. It stopped us from being able to give hugs. It made us start doing this weird thing by awkwardly bumping elbows. You know, you're going to want to tell your kids about it. Your kids are going to tell their kids and their kids are going to tell their kids' kids. We're going to be talking about the COVID years for generations to come felt familiar. The start of it did. But then as you continue through this book of Joel, you see that Joel took the current, that devastation that they were experiencing as an opportunity. Joel looked at the situation that Israel was in and he said, you know what? God's trying to tell me something. God's telling me that this is just a taste of what it's going to be like when the last days come, the, the apocalypse is going to be so much worse than this. So if we think this is bad, we ain't seen nothing yet. Because we're going to, we got to turn our lives around. Israel, come on, it's time to repent. Get right with God. That's what he was thinking. That's what he was saying. And I'll be honest, as I was reading through this book, after this feeling of familiarity, came a sense of uh, dread. Because suddenly, I'm now seeing the crazy guy on the street corner holding a sign that says, repent, for the end is near. And that's not a fun guy. That's not an easy thing to preach about. Because honestly, it's not something people want to hear. And I don't know, for me, using fear tactics to convert people to Christianity, I, it just feels very unchristian. You know, saying something like, this pandemic is a sign from God that the world has lost its way and that we must repent. It might be. But it doesn't change the sense, within me at least, that it just feels like an unchristian approach to gospel transformation. Suzette and I, we have been meeting with members of our beloved church over the past few months and we're slowly making our way through all the list of our covenant members, and we've really enjoyed getting the time to know everyone. And if we haven't gotten to you yet, I promise, we're, we're, we're slowly making our way through. There are a few who have made a decision to no longer stay with the Church of the Beloved, and that's okay. But for them, what we've done is we've taken the time to meet with them, to say goodbye, to thank them for being a part of the community for as long as they have, and to pray for them as they transition into a new community. And I, I mentioned this because through these meetups over the past few weeks, recently, this very, the hardest question for any question to answer has kind of popped up, which is, why is there suffering? And there was a survey commissioned by an author, his name is Lee Strobel. Some of you may have heard of him. It was a few years ago, and the survey asked the question, if you could ask God anything, what would be the one thing you would ask? And the most common answer, why is there suffering? And I mentioned last week um, that a shocking truth from God is this, that suffering is a part of salvation. And 
Why? And I will tell you honestly that I don't have a good answer for the question. I think I have an answer, but I don't know if it's a good one that people would feel comfortable with. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it tells us that we can know some truths in part right now, but when the day of the Lord comes, when Jesus returns, that's when we will understand it all. We will know fully as we are known fully by Christ when he returns, but not now. And Joel tries to provide an understanding of the purpose in Israel's situation of the suffering that they were going through. And I'm sure that there were some who were originally listening to his words, his explanation of their suffering and the required response that he was bringing to them and thinking, why? Because they were getting it in part, but not fully. And this idea of just getting things in part, I, I don't think that would fly. I don't think that does fly very well in today's society and culture. It just doesn't work. It's not acceptable. Because unless I have all the information, unless I see the entirety of the picture, unless, I have, unless I've bought into the full plan, I'm not going to sign off on this. And I'll tell you that this is a good thing. It's a good thing when it comes to construction and to contracts, but it's not something that God's going to provide for us in life necessarily. So what I want to do for the rest of my time today is I want to consider this question. Why? Why this way? And I will promise you I am not going to be able to provide a complete answer. I cannot present the full picture of God's plan for you or for our church or for our city. And 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 it's not my intent. But what I do hope to do is this. I want to provide the truths as God has revealed them in part so that we might follow our Father in full. I think it's possible. And I think the first thing that we need to fully understand and focus on is this. Bad things happen. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things happen. Could it be judgment for evils that have happened? Could it be karma? Maybe. Can I say with certainty that it is or is not? No, I can't. I would encourage you not to try either. Because bad things happen. I think it's also very important to understand that the evils that happen, these bad things, God did not create this. In Genesis it says, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. God is good. God is perfect. The evil that entered into this world, this, this is something God permitted, but is What it is is ultimately the absence of good. And in the absence of the good things that God has created, humanity has replaced it with things that fall short of God's design. So bad things happen. The thing is, Joel could see that God wasn't ignorant of the bad things. He knew it was happening around them. God wasn't ignoring them. In chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, this is what it says there. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage, Israel. And this is where the bad things he recognizes. Because they have scattered them among the nations. They have divided up my land. And they have cast lots for my people and have traded a boy for a prostitute and have sold a girl for wine and have drunk it. God saw the bad things. Israel had been scattered. They had been oppressed. 
they had been sold as slaves. He saw the bad things happening because bad people had happened. He saw it. Bad things happened. The second thing, though, to observe through this book is that bad things, I want to reveal this at least in part, so again, that you might follow our God in full, but this is the truth, that God can use bad things for good. And don't mean to be flippant or diminishing in any way when I say this. I would also suggest that if you're someone or you know someone who's going through a difficult time, a struggle, be careful. It's probably not necessarily the right time to say that everything's going to work out. I don't think it's beneficial to go to someone dealing with the trauma of abuse or neglect and, and say, hey, God's got a plan for you through this pain. No, don't do that. Uh, uh, give me an example. Some of you may know this. Uh, I am a co-vocational or bivocational pastor, which means I have a full-time day job. I work in the software industry. If you were actually to look me up on LinkedIn, don't bother, there's nothing really there, but my title there is not interim senior pastor. My title there is M-Case Guy. It's it's a weird title. It's got a long story behind it that I'm not going to get into. I don't even know if I could explain it, but it's just that's there. Anyway, I'm in the software industry, and recently we had a crisis. We had to get a software patch out for a customer who was having an issue, a critical issue. And my team, they worked hard to fix that one issue, and then suddenly they would find a second one. They, so, and they worked on fixing that second one, and then another one popped up, and just we had to get that patch out there that day. We had a less than 12-hour turnaround time. We got it out, but in the midst of it all, my boss comes to me and asks, you know, was this, was this our fault, or was it their fault? Did something happen? What, what was going on? And, and I nicely explained to him, shut up. Because now, now is not the time for us to figure out who, who did it. It's not, I don't care about the blame. Right now, we need to put the, a patch on the wound. We need to fix this. We'll deal with our postmortem or retrospective, whatever you want to call it. We'll deal with the issues once we get the patch out the door. Because there's a time and a place for everything, and now it wasn't it. I tell this story because sometimes, sometimes you need to just sit in the pain. Sometimes you need to sit in the pain with the one you love just for a minute, not try to cure it, not try to fix it, because you need to seek to wallow in it for a time with that person. Elijah, when he was wanting to kill himself because he was being hunted down, God started off his intervention with him by just being there with him. When Jesus came to Lazarus's tomb, rather than raising him from the dead right away, he spent time with Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sister, sisters, and just said, I'm going to cry with you. Because sometimes you just need to sit in the pain, but not stay there. Because eventually we are called to remember that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is Romans 8.28. We're called to consider what it says in John chapter 16, verse 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me, speaking of in Christ, in Christ you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I, Jesus, I have overcome the world. Because God can and God will use bad things for good. Suzette and I, we, we wanted to have kids. We tried for a long time. It just never happened. And we bought a 
big old house in San Francisco so that we could have space for our kids. And we, we had tests taken and done. We, we, we were ready to start IVF treatments. We, we even discussed the possibility uh, of adoption. We looked at international adoptions initially and then locally through the foster care system. Eventually, for a lot of reasons that I'm not going to get into right now, we realized that this isn't where God was intending, what he was intending for us. I'll be very honest, we were, I was, uh, sad, angry, kind of pissed, depressed. All of these emotions were wrapped up in, and, and, and unfortunately, at the time, it came out in some pretty negative ways for me. See, we knew that God would use this bad thing for good. We even knew how God would use this bad for good. We, we knew that God would, would allow us to use our home, our space, our lives to encourage and to create family outside of the norm. We, we would befriend the lonely. We would encourage the orphans. We would bring into our home foreigners. We, we would create family. We would create friends who, who would become our family. And we, we knew that God would use the bad things for good. But at least for a short time, I couldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. Because sometimes you just need to sit in the pain just for a minute. Because bad things happen. God will ultimately use bad things for good. You just might have to sit in it for a second. And the third point that I want to make is that there is judgment. There is judgment coming for the bad things that have happened. In this book, Joel focuses a lot on the day of the Lord. The plagues, the judgment, the destruction, all of these things were, were God's way of throwing warning shots to point out to his chosen ones that they, that they needed to repent, that they needed to come with all of their hearts back to their father. Because he's God alone is God, and, and God alone is to be loved, and God alone is to be worshipped. God alone is to be served, and whether, whether locusts come to destroy or the Lord comes to restore, God alone is God. In chapter 2, verse 27, it says this, You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is none else. In chapter 3, verse 17, it says this, So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. The promise of our Father in heaven is that the day of the Lord, the day that he will return is when final judgment will come. It will come upon those who love God and those who revile God. This is the day, this is the hope we cling to. This is the day we hold out hope for. Because it is, it is when we return to, our, to heaven, our homeland, when, that's when we will see the final judgment of Christ come upon the entire world. And thank God it's not here yet. Because it gives us, gives us all the time right now to bring more people to experience God's glory instead of God's wrath. Thank God for that. But it means that the bad things have more time to impact us now. Joel's description of that final day is pretty epic. In chapter 2, verse 2, it says this, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains of great and powerful people. There will like 
has never been for nor will be again after them through the years and all generations. Fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. And in the midst of this, in this devastation, is Zion. A place where the trumpet blasts, where, where the warning sirens are, are coming from. And in the middle of this havoc is a garden, like Eden, a beacon of hope in the midst of all the annihilation. God hasn't forgotten us as the bad things happen. God's right there. Bad things happen. God will ultimately use the bad things for good, and there is judgment coming for the bad things that have happened. And it brings us to the passage that I asked to be read today. And this is the final point of today's message. Because what I want to do is to give you in part the plan God has put in place so that we might be able to honor and worship and glorify God in full. Because as it says in the passage that was read by Sarah, the day of the Lord is great and awesome. Who can endure it? When Christ returns, it's going to be a bit crazy. It's going to be apocalyptic. Everyone, I mean, everyone is going to be judged. And in the midst of all that, he says it, yet even now, God is calling his beloved to return to him, to turn away from the priorities of their past, not with just lip service or, or fake piety, but he calls us to rend our hearts, not our garments. He calls us to return because God is gracious and God is merciful and God is slow to anger. God is abounding in chesed. God is abounding in a never-ending, ever-constant, scandalous love for his chosen, for his beloved. And here's the beauty. He calls us to return to this together. Not, it's not just an individual's journey. It is the nation's journey. Joel wants the elders to assemble and to consecrate or to dedicate the congregation to our Heavenly Father. He wants to have everyone gather from newlyweds to infants to children, everyone. We are all together the body of Christ. We are the church universal. The beloved of God are unified in that. And I've had the privilege of worshiping in many different countries over the years. I, I used to travel quite a bit for my job. I've worshipped in Ireland, Australia, Singapore, Korea, Mexico, many, many different countries. Almost did it in Iceland as well, but church was closed because of weather, which would have been good to know before I actually started driving in that weather, but we survived. That was fine. But everywhere I've gone, and we've gone with my wife, we've, we've seen God's grace and his mercy and his chesed through the worship of his, by his beloved. But I'll tell you very honestly, it's nothing like what we experience when we gather here. Because when we gather here, in this place, with you, my beloved sisters and my beloved brothers, here in this embassy that I call home, you're my family. You're my church. And we gather together. We gather physically together to worship with song, to worship with prayers. We dedicate this solemn assembly to God so that God will hear our cries and answer us, so that God will care for us in the suffering, so that God will allow us to heal as his beloved, heal as his church, heal as his city, as his land. 
Because he's called us to repent and to return so that we can be redeemed. The band can make their way out because I want to tell you, why do bad things happen? Why, why is there suffering? Because God is a good God who has allowed evil, which is the absence of good, to come into this world and it results in a brokenness that has impacted everything from the human heart to, to the environment around us. And, and though I can only comprehend in part the reality of this, I will still worship my God in full because in all of this, God has called us to return. God has called us to return with all of our hearts to him because God is gracious. God is merciful. And God has chesed for us. And I pray that that might be your call now to return to him. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we come to you humbly as your beloved children. We come to you humbly as those who have been redeemed by the blood the Son shed on the cross for our sake. We come to you knowing that there are times when the pains that we're dealing with, the struggles, the difficulties, sometimes they weigh down so much that we feel empty. We feel alone. God, I ask that together, together as the body of Christ, we might seek to remember that we are all together your beloved. We are all together a royal priesthood. We are all together a holy nation set apart for you, God. May we remember that as we strive to be an encouragement to one another and to be encouraged by one another. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.